We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arsenal find another post-prime expensive player to chase with Barcelona making the announcement that Lionel Messi is moving on. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the black man Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Hello, everybody. Love you so much. Thank you for being here uh, in these interesting times that we live in. Uh, we have just gotten the news that Barcelona and Lionel Messi will not be continuing together. And so there is a 34-year-old on big money out there, Adu. Just saying. I don't know. Maybe we'll talk about that a little later on. In fact, we will talk about that later on. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Clive and I are going to discuss the Granite Shaka signing and, and the ramifications for that with our squad and our business and what will happen from there. And then Tim and Paul will come on and they will discuss uh, Lionel Messi and what he will bring to Arsenal, but also where the squad stands with the, the window starting to tick down the impending season, uh, whether Arteta has the support behind the scenes that he needs and a couple other odds and ends. So a, a full fun podcast ahead for you. Hope you enjoy it. I do want to let you know that Bukayo Sack is back in training. Love seeing the images of him, and Brandon has come up with a really fun uh, icon to represent what Bukayo Saka means to us, our star boy chili pepper, and, and you can find that uh, in our shop at uh, avpodcastshop.com if you want to go there and check it out. So that's available now. Uh, over on the Patreon side of things, our Fantasy Premier League is renewed and ready to go, so if you're a patron, definitely get in there and play, or don't, by the way. Uh, <laughs> either is fine with me, but it is time to dispense with the nonsense and get started. Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. All right, Clive, let's dive right into it because I want to see if you can get me super frustrated in, let's say, I'll put two minutes on the clock and see if you're able to do it. Um, tell me why now, in the cold light of day, the the Shaka thing, it, it is interesting. I, I'll, I'll just say this, Clive, like there is a cycle and the cycle is news breaks and people have their honest reaction. Yeah. And then... Their reaction starts to mutate as they either try to shoehorn it into their worldview for the negative or for the positive. I feel like when this came out, people were like, nah, it's not real. It's posturing with Roma. Then when it happened, people were like, this doesn't make sense. I don't understand it. But already I'm starting to see that phenomenon of like, well, actually, maybe it's only one plus one. And really, like, you know, we could have felt that we needed it. And like, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to dismiss people who are supporting it because... Everybody is entitled to their view, but I do feel like I'm starting to see some mutation, some retconning of this 
to start to to create those justifications. So have you reached the justification phase of your processing of this yet? Oh, yeah. I love to justify stupidity. Well, great. <laughs> so let's go fire away. <laughs> right. But it's more like, I don't justification, it's more like, okay, what, what are they trying to do here? Right? So, um, so let's talk about football first. And so when I look at Arsenal and the way Arsenal play, that left foot uh, on the left-hand side and shifting the ball, it's become so dominant. It's very hard to picture a replacement. You know, even players that I like a lot more than Shaq, I, I couldn't see him in our team because he's got quite a unique playing profile. He's got a unique tactical profile. And the best Granite Xhaka that we've seen at Arsenal has been the last seven months. And he went to Euros and he killed it at the Euros as well. I mean, he looked like one of the best centre mids in that competition against the very best teams. You know, so so let's just talk about that. So we, you know, from an Arsenal point of view, Shaka and Party is okay. The problem is we haven't seen enough of them for long enough due to Party's um, dodgy thigh muscles, etc. Mm. So there's a part of me, so the fan part of me wants to see a bit more speed and a bit more protection and a bit more variation of passing. Because I've watched Granite Shaka for five, six years, so I'm just like, I'm all right with it. He's done some bad things that really annoyed me. He cost us Champions League places. And he's also carried the dressing room for many, many months at a time. So I'm a little bit bored of it. I've seen it. But when I look at it holistically across the whole team, I don't think that's a big problem, having a very good centre midfield partnership compared to other problems I see in the backup goalkeeper position where we haven't got the player the right back situation where I feel we have a huge development opportunity and the striker situation where we have people blocking people because we can't move them on those things are problems do you know what I mean? Yeah. And those things are problems that are beyond, you know, we we all agree, Ella, didn't we? There's no, no point in debating. We can see it. We can watch it. If this team is going anywhere, we have to sort out what's happening with our forward areas and our overpaid, aged people just sitting there. Hmm. And, and we've got, we've got the, the right back. I'm telling you, it's become more important than I realised after the weekend when I went to the game. And, yeah. It, 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 the goalkeeper situation that's just a, a kick on the knee away from disaster yeah do you know what I mean and so let's just deal with that stuff first Granite Xhaka Swiss captain top player is not the biggest problem at Arsenal Football Club apart from the fact we're sort of bored do you know what I mean so um, yeah. so yeah that's, that was my gut feeling from a footballistic point of view I, I hear you and I mean I guess the, the issue for me so let's separate two issues because the one thing that I think it is fair as a fan to do is have the thing you want, right? Like as a fan. And then there's the thing that makes sense from a business standpoint. I just, I think this fails both metrics because the thing I wanted as a fan was just something new, like I'm bored. Mm. And being bored is the equivalent of saying I'm throwing my toys out of the pram. I get that, right? Like you, you don't get to just decide you're bored so the club has to do what you want them to do. But... <laughs> I had started to dream of a future where we looked a little different in the way we played and the people that were on the pitch. So was there a player that made kept you awake at night thinking, I really want that guy? Was there anybody that jumped out and said, if we get that guy, everything changes? So here's the problem with that. I mean, I, I kind of like the idea of Basuma. It certainly doesn't feel like that's happening. But I, I don't I don't know how realistic it was. I mean, maybe Brighton have the attitude that we got a 50 million 
you know, uh, transfer out. We can use that money. We're in okay shape. We're not going to lose our two most important players in the same window. So maybe that mm. just wasn't going to happen for them. If those, if you do regard those as their two most important players, um, I, I think I, I had kind of liked the idea of Guimaraes. You know, yeah. Ruben Neves. I was warming to, although I have to admit it, you know, it didn't get my heart pumping. I, I think you know Locatelli was exciting, but I knew that was never realistic. The yeah. problem is, right? I'm not. Oh, I know Arsenal. Some people would say no, you, you don't, mate. But like. <laughs> what I do know is Arsenal. I don't know world football as much. So I, I don't like when people are like, well, name the player. Well, it's kind of not my job to do that. I just wanted someone new yeah. in central midfield. You know, like I went, I went for the same things and I, I love Pesuma, but I love Pesuma how he plays. I love his ability to be competitive. I, I like physicality down the middle of the pitch. And, but I'm looking at these rumors and I'm thinking, oh, I also don't really want that. They want someone a bit more like the Conga to get it, turn around, move it. Do you know what I mean? And move it in different ways. And they're saying we're Arsenal, we'll, we can do, we're defending groups, we defend by distances. We're not looking for that guy. I think Basuma can do a lot more than what we see on the YouTubes, playing for six for Brighton. If you watch some of the old films for Lille, he's um he can do a lot more. He would have been the guy I like, but I I can see that that's not where Arteta wants to go. So I had to calm down on it. Apart from that, I didn't like anybody else really. You know, I, I didn't like anybody else enough to say that's a huge priority. I think what the weekend did for me was really highlight, okay, do we need to carry on any? And what could we do with that position? You know, and then I, then I think about the return on the investment. We're going to get five million quid for him. You know, is that really worth anything to, you know, and I think is, is that really worth it to move him on? He can walk out on the free and we give more time to youngsters to develop. I'm thinking, oh, God, so we're, we're back to shackering on any for the first game, potentially. I don't feel great, does it? It doesn't feel positive, you know? So um, it is a tough one, mate. It is a tough one. Yeah. I I just, like, I, I think, and again, so I, I want to be clear, right? So that's one piece of it, is what we would like to see just from a fan standpoint. I mean, Clive, there, there is this issue, right, where we, we seem to just make the decision that feels, I want to say easiest, and I kind of want to get your take on this. I think Arsenal have had a process issue for years. Yeah. And the problem is we've had different people running the club. So we've had Arsene Wenger, we've had Ivan Gazidis, we've had Raul, now we have Mikel and, and Edu. So it's it's hard to evaluate who's got the bad process or not. We, all, we know Raul's process was primarily driven to benefit Raul's. <laughs> That's never good. But... We look at how we wind up with a Kolasinac who we can't shift, or a Cedric who we can't shift, or a William who we can't shift, or an Aubameyang we're kind of worried about, or an Ozil who we couldn't shift, and we didn't sell Ramsey for money, and we didn't sell Alexis for money, and we, you know, we we wind up in these situations. It looks like we're probably not going to move Lacazette or Aubameyang for money. Both of those players will probably leave Arsenal for free, and Shaka now will leave Arsenal almost certainly for free, is my guess, and. You can't keep doing these things and keep looking back and saying, how could we have known? Um, it reminds me of the the meme. You know the meme where the guy shoots the guy in the chair and then says, like, how could so-and-so have done this? Have you ever seen that meme? <laughs> the kids will know what I'm talking about. Guy points a gun at someone in the chair, shoots him, and then says, you know, like, how could the transfer market have done this to us? Like, eventually, <laughs> at some point, you're the one doing it to yourself. So don't you think there's just a little bit of a sense of... If Arsenal had taken the 15 million from Maitland Niles last season, or been willing to sell Eddie Nketiah, or moved Ramsey or Ozil or Alexis, or not signed Obamyang, or not bought William, and I realize like, 
okay, Elliot, we get it. We made mistakes. We did some good things too. All clubs do that. I know, but I think we make a very certain type of mistake repeatedly. And at some point, one of the, something has to explain why we're a mid-table club right now. So don't you yeah. worry that we're going to be in another situation where, where Shaq is turning 32. We couldn't move him on. He's on 130 grand a week, and we're like, you know, he, he feels like Kolasinac or, or Willian or, you know, one of those situations. <clears throat> So I, I can't explain all of those because the Cedric one really bothers me. The William one, at the time, I could see we had a gap. But did we have to go the extra year and pay that number? Did we have to? Or was that convenient due to the agent? Again, same agent. It makes you wonder, doesn't it? It makes you wonder what's going on. Can't help it, mate. Can't help it. And I'm not going to explain it away. Ozil, that's back to the old Ken Early status anxiety thing. We're Arsenal, we can't lose Alexis and Ozil, and absolutely we should have lost Ozil. He cost us far too much in the dressing room and in numbers and didn't deliver on the pitch towards the latter years. And so that was a mistake. Um, we walked into um, the Bamyang discussion. I heard a little bit of that yesterday. You know what, at the time I really wanted it. The moment the ink was dry, he stopped, he stopped running. Right, so... Hopefully that's not going to be a longer-term mistake. Hopefully he can recover. Um, we made a few of these. Um, they're hard to explain. You know, the Ramsey one, you know, I think it's two sides to that story. I think we were played. Um, so, yeah, sometimes you buy a player and they drop away. And for me, what I want to see happen is when people arrive, there's a, a standard by which you operate. I don't want Arthur to be the place where people come and it's okay to drop off in levels. You know, and this is why there are certain players from Chelsea I don't want. And there's a reason for that, right? So if you're um, if you're a workplace, I used to work for a big investment bank, and there were two or three competitors, and we all knew who was number one, number two, number three. And when you when you go from one to, say, Goldman's, that was number one, everyone knew Goldman was number one. So when you went to Goldman's, you had to turn it on because it was Goldman's. Mm-hmm. But if you went to another one of the top five, for example, um, there's same money, same money, same environment, same suit, same sh- nice brogues, but you know they're not Goldman's. When you go to one not a Goldman, not Goldman's, you can not be at your game. Does it mean the same way? It's just it's a mentality thing. Mm. So at Chelsea, within their club, your employers are listening to this, going, "Wait, what?" <laughs> <laughs> this was this was this was many years ago. Many years oh, ago. Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> not not now. Not now. I love my work now. Yeah. Right. So um, and so basically, when you go to um, if you're at Chelsea and you're there every day, and every day they are smashing Arsenal, they are paying more money to their players. They've won European Cups. They've won more leagues after the last 10 years. They've won more competitions than anybody else in the country. They're twice European champions. Do you think they're talking about us in a nice way within the club? It's when their players leave and go to Arsenal. It's like, oh, OK, I've got to go to Arsenal now. Mm. I mean, I don't want that shit, mate. I don't want that. I don't want that. You mm. have to build up your club, build up your mentality, build your standards. And when people walk for the door, you've got to do something. You can't just bowl around. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I think it's very important you do this. This is why I back the manager when he's trying to set standards. I really do, because we need it. We're too easy ozy, too comfortable. It's a nice... You heard me say it before, Elliot. It's a nice place to buy your next house in Dubai. It's not what it's about for me. There's a massive frustrated fan base that want to see people that really want to play for the, 
the club and the shirt. And that's why there's a huge outpouring of love and affection and connection to some of these younger players because we absolutely trust their motivations while they're young, particularly. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, there's something happening with Bukayo Saka at the moment, which is like quite generational. Do you know what I mean? It, it, sure, of course. This is this is this is big, right? This is big stuff. I've been around. This is big. This is Roadcastle big. This is love, right? This is true, and there's a reason for that. You can't con a fan. You know, they connect to the people, the right people. You can't con people. You can't con that many people. When a person and a player is good and his motivations are correct, we like them. And I want to see more of those type of people in the club. And I, and I quite like the direction that we're heading. But I'm afraid, Elliot, you're absolutely right to raise those names. They're still hanging around like luggage in our minds, if not all in the building. And they are actually making us mistrust the club. Yeah. And, and I, I guess it, it does come down to then, like, what if we and I want to say something to, to people that think like I'm being negative or, you know, wh- why does everything have to be bad? Like if we can't identify the mistakes we're making and correct them, then we can't get to where we want to go. So I don't view it as negative identifying mistakes. I view it as a part of the process of trying to say there's a place we all want to go together as Arsenal fans. We may not all have the same idea of how to get there. You may not even want to analyze transfer business or contracts and things like that. And that's totally fine, too. I regard this as a mistake, an avoidable mistake with Shaka. And I look at a player who I say, you know what? This guy's turning 29 years old. We can't sell him right now on 100 grand a week with two years left. We are now going to potentially be trying to sell him at 30 years old on 130 grand a week with three years left. The presumption should be that won't happen. The club needs to assume this guy will be with the club till the end of his contract. And maybe they're okay with that. But he's a big personality. He's a big part of what we do. He's not the kind of... You can move beyond an El Nenny because he's a fringe player and he doesn't influence the squad. It's hard to move beyond guys like Mesut Ozil who, who cast a long shadow. Guys like yeah. Granite Shaka who cast a long shadow. And this guy now is going to be casting that shadow probably till he's roughly 33 at Arsenal. And maybe he'll be fine, and that's good enough. But look, we finished fifth, sixth, fifth, eighth, and eighth since he's been here. That's not his fault, but that's where yep. we've gone. Uh, you know, Clive, it just feels like this This was an opportunity to say, hey, if we want to keep him, we got him under contract for two years, keep him, but let's start planning the the exit strategy, you know? Yeah, I, I totally agree with that, particularly the long shadow piece. I think, you know, my, you know, I'm big on the culture side of things. I know you're not, but... I am, and I think, obviously, that the club see him as a big part of the, the culture and the values they, they want to see going forward. Otherwise, they wouldn't do this. And um, so there is that. I looked at his and I thought to myself, do you need to do this, Arsenal? Do you really need to do this? They, and they may have given him a five grand a week rise. Really. I don't think the money's big. Right? I think he's got his security. I heard Tim talk about it yesterday. I thought he was bang on. It's, like, it's about his security, and I think he's got his security now. Now, if Arsenal are going to move him on at some point, there's an exit strategy, then it's going to cost them some money, but the transfer fee will be lower. But they've got more value, a couple more years. And we have a couple of young players at the club that need to be brought on. And they are special young players, like really special young players. And I think they're going to be training with this guy. They're going to be, and he's a, a proper footballer, a proper leader, a proper mentor. 
these these two young players I'm talking about are Miguel Aniz, Aziz and, and Charlie Patino, who is a Granit Xhaka clone, right? He is somebody that plays at the base of midfield, left footed centre mid. Um, used to be a ten. Uh, he come from Luton Town, so I know I've known this player for many many years. I know when he got moved over to Arsenal. I know all the people involved, and basically. There's some people saying he's one of the best talents ever to walk through the doors at Hale End. Mm. Right? So when you have a player potentially like that around the corner and he's already six foot trotting around, I'm not saying he's going to be in the team in two minutes' time. He could be two years away. But Grant Shackle could be a big part of that, that transfer of power. He becomes a bridge player. Right? So Miguel Aziz... He he's definitely not been missing any leg days in the gym, right? So he's suddenly a, <laughs> he's he's suddenly appeared, right? And I was talking to someone the other day on on Twitter. I think it's some guy Halen guy on Twitter, and we were talking mm-hmm. about him, and he's just yeah. You know, everyone knows about this guy. He's playing for England. He's killing it. He's absolutely killing it. Like Patino, the only England fast track. They are top top young players, both in the centre mid area. Now we've got a situation where we've got a bridge there. And I'm not saying I would do this. I wanted Basuma. I wanted to cover all of my fears <laughs> that I see when I watch Arsenal Football Club. All of the spaces. I'm sick of being run past. I'm sick of being bullied. I wanted that player to come in and, and have a formidable centre-mid partnership. That makes me feel good. right? But I look at it and think, OK, this is where we are. If this is where we are I've got to accept it but I'm not going to accept the situation we have a right back and up front and the, and, and the goalkeeper because that's not acceptable you know where we, and so I can just about wear it even though I don't particularly love it that makes sense yeah it just also feels like there's a there's a little bit of a disconnect like you look at what Villa did and I actually think the Ings deal is a bad deal for Villa but they yeah. knew they were selling Grealish they went and got Buendia right away before he could wind up somewhere else that's the guy they wanted they went and got Leon Bailly Bailey, whatever, I don't know. Yep. And then they got Danny Ings. That's their business, done, their $100 million spent, and, and you know they have a plan and they enacted it. And I, I think the thing I'm worried about, Mikel Arteta is in his first coaching job, he's manager, he has all this weight on his shoulders, does he understand how to play? I mean, Raul once said, and I'm not saying we want to make Raul the guy you listen to, but I think he's right about this, that if you are making your summer transfer plan when the window opens, you're already too late. You know, he was saying in an interview, he said, in January, we already know what we're going to do the next summer. I absolutely do not get the sense that that is particularly in play at Arsenal. And I realize that the window gives you what it gives you. You can't decide what other other clubs should do. But let's say there's 38 games this season, Clive, plus four cup games. Let's say we get four cup games. That feels like a reasonable average, right? Could be more, could be less. So you're talking about 38 games plus four, 42 games. How many minutes? Is Aziz going to get, Balogun going to get, Willick going to get, Maitland-Niles going to get, Inkedia going to get? They're not getting minutes, so do something with them. How many minutes, you know, you start to look at what the season ahead is going to bring, and at a minimum, we should be sorting the fringe players out. We should be making some moves because we know we don't have the minutes to offer. This isn't a situation so, where those guys are going to have six <laughs> Europa League games to start. You know? I, I have to stop you there, young man. Well, I, I mean, I am stopping. So <laughs> I stopped myself. You're not my real dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you think the club has not been offering these people out? You know, everyone knows who we want to sell. Everyone knows who we want to sell. We can all write them down on a piece of paper right now. 
we got Torreira, we got Klasnik, but you, we got I, Bellerin. I things, you may have to make some compromises. You may have to decide that, yeah, we had a 15 million offer for Maitland-Niles last summer, but we're going to no, have to take 10 this summer. No, that was last summer. summer. Right, no, what I'm saying, we may have to take 10 now, and we may have to take, you know... But I mean, those well, offers are not arrived yet. They're yeah. not going to arrive until late on. They're just not. I haven't seen a situation where I'll sort of turned anything down. I read about the 22 mil Joe Willock thing. That's an interesting one because I wonder where the player is on that. You know, I wonder if he's thinking, I want to stay. You know, I'm wondering. So that number seems reasonable to me, although I'd like 22 plus add-ons to 25, but that's just me. That number feels reasonable. And no no messing, he's the first one because he's the best one. Right, he's the one that's, yeah, it turns out uh, it's easier to sell the guys that are more in demand. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, you know, Aston Villa is not going to have a hard time selling Jack Grealish. We don't have a Jack Grealish to sell. You, well, know? you don't have a Jack Grealish to sell. It's an easy plan when you know 100 million is around the corner. You keep it quiet amongst yourselves. You start to buy the players you need to to, to fill the slots. Then you sell the guy. So they've got three players. Well, they might have got, you know, may have got a bit more money. I don't think they're great deals. I don't think they're great deals, but I think they could afford to go to those numbers because they knew they had a number coming in, right? So they don't care about it because either a youth player didn't cost them 10 pence and they've sold him, you know, at the right time for them and they can progress on. So fair play to them. We haven't got that. We can't even sell the Premier League player of the month. Mm. Do you know what I mean? We can't yeah. sell him. And so it's a, it's a challenge. But I think... There've been rumours. I think we, I think we are going to move some people on. I just can't guarantee it in this in this in this crazy market, right? And I do feel towards the end of chance window, I think it's going to be incredibly revealing about who's got money, who hasn't, what these prices look like. I'm actually glad we haven't done things too soon in some respects, even though it's not great for planning, because I want to see what this market looks like. I said to you earlier, you're going to find out which clubs abroad. I've really got nothing in their fridge. Mm. We're gonna we're gonna find out. So I do wonder then. I mean, if you feel like there's still a lot more to be learned, and maybe this can be sort of as we start to wrap up. One thing that I wonder is if Arsenal have maybe been a little naive in in what they've done with Shaka. Not not to row it back to that, but just in terms of like if you think this window could get pretty frenetic and pretty crazy towards the tail end, isn't it always worth buying yourself some time, like? That feels like a move that if we absolutely felt we had to do it, doing it September 1st rather than August 1st when there's still four weeks of mania and potential. I mean, what happens now, Clive, if a central midfielder we love who we thought never would have shaken loose somehow gets offered to us and we don't have a we don't have a path to making that happen because we we made a move too so like doesn't it just smack a little bit of like inexperience operating in the market to make a move like this that even at the best of times be hard to justify but that feels premature you know yeah i was surprised to see if the deal falls down it falls down that happens all the time and why should jose come along and take a, you know a good player like that for like 15 million quid or 50 million euros no way. I think Arsenal got to hold their ground. They didn't want... I don't think it was a desperate move to to move him on. I think there was something that was agreed historically when, when Arteta came along. He said, look, stay with me for a year and a half. And then when you can go in this summer, two years to go, if you want a, if you want a different challenge, as long as we get value, off you go. They didn't get value. Sit down. What do you want to do? Actually, you know what? I want to stay. Okay. 
let's make you feel valued. We'll give you a small lift and we'll extend your contract because we want you to feel like you're part of the plan. Now, you know, again, going back to work again, you know, I, I work on six monthly inc- increments. Every time I get a contract, I feel really good. I feel but, really committed. But you earn it. I mean, I presume you're good at what you do because you seem like a pretty smart and effective guy from what I can tell. I mean, I don't know, maybe not. But like, <laughs> isn't there also just a sense of, I, I just, I have a hard time with the precedent of like Granite Shaka, who we regard as like pretty good, maybe a little bit representative of some of the, the middling kind of existence we've had the last few years. When Granite Shaka can say, if you want me to stay, I need a, a raise on the contract that I still have two years left to run till I'm 31 years old. Like it just, player power is one thing when it's Terry Henry exerting it or Patrick Vieira yeah. exerting it or Cesc Fabregas exerting it. When it's Granite Shaka at 29 years old exerting it, I just don't know what you're doing at that point. Like, there's got to be an ability for the club to say, hey, give us a few more weeks to see what's happening in this window. We will get this sorted out. You know? Yeah, maybe, I'm not sure if he's actually signed yet because I I, did, I sort of agree with that. Maybe we'll see what happens at the end of the window, then get him to sign. But I've also shown a commitment towards him, so that'll be that. I, I, it is a strange one. Put it this way, I was ready to move on, but I didn't really, apart from Basuma, I didn't really have a strong direction to move on with. And even Basuma wasn't a perfect fit. So it's, I, I look at this and say to myself, okay, there's a list of things that are, are bigger problems in this. And and I, I, do, I do worry about the culture side of things, I must admit. Um, I'd like to see the culture move. And when you have people that have got a, a bigger influence on the old culture, it's time to move on. It's like a new page. I'm wanting to turn a new page. But a lot of people say special things about him. And he's a... Of, he's, he's the best trainer of the club. He's the true leader of the club. And Elliot, I'll be I'll be straight with you. When you're in the stadium, he is okay. He's not hated. He is not hated. A lot of people appreciate what he does. You know, sometimes you can get in a bit of a vacuum on on the mistakes. Obviously, we analyze games a lot, and we podcast every single week, and we can really analyze this guy. But when you see him in playing for Switzerland, and when you see how the club reacted to him at the weekend, there is another side to this coin. You know, there's a lot of people that really appreciate what he does. My issue with him has been, why has it taken five years to finally find the right partner for him? Mm. You know, that's been my issue, you know. And um, if you invest in someone like him, make sure you surround him with something that allows him to show what he can be and... I think we've finally done it now. And it's like, why has it taken so long? That's the sort of stuff that really bothers me, you know? Yeah, and again, I I don't regard Granite Shack as a bad player. I'm not sure I regard him as the level I'd like. Of course, I mean, you're not going to have the level you'd like at every position all across the pitch, and we may not be able to recruit that player right now. Can we go into the season with Granite Shack and be fine? Sure. He did have two years left on his deal, and so there's a part of me that says, we were in a perfect position to do nothing if we wanted to do nothing. Yeah. And, you know, if he is this monumental leader who's committed to the club in the way that, you know, it's often said, and maybe that is the case, then you'd like to think he's the kind of guy who also would understand, you know, we have you under contract the next two years. Um, you know, we weren't able to find that buyer this summer. We're we're still thrilled you're here. Let's all get our heads down and get back to work. I don't think you have to get the pen and paper out and be like, okay, time to give you more money. But <laughs> let's finish with this then. I mean, it is the situation now that, we are, we, you know, we're within touching distance of the new season. The window does extend till the end of the month. So that obviously creates a little bit of a, 
a disconnect, I think, sometimes in our level of impatience because we have an impatience with the impending season coming, but the window still has quite a bit of time and I think a lot of things to shake loose and start moving. I would assume that you would say that at this point right now, if the business we've done is the business we're doing, that you would not regard that as sufficient. Uh, and, and let's just yeah. assume some keeper comes in, but even assuming that, presumably you would say for a team that finished eighth consecutive seasons and with party being out for who knows what that that's just not going to cut it is it no it's not and there's rumors of the anana thing coming back to the forefront even if i was on maybe need to shelve that for a year go for him in january get somebody you know like a loan keeper for this year with more experience and go for the guy that really can help us and after watching us doing build up at the weekend we need a goalkeeper that understands what he's doing with his feet because Leno, Leno can't do it. I've seen enough, right? So um, we absolutely need to absolutely focus on the right back space. We do. It's much like Shaka, it took us five years to find his partner. Let's not spend £50 million on centre-back and, and, and give him Daffy Duck on the right-hand side, right? That, that can't work. That, that can't work. We need to fix that. We really need to fix it. Invest in your invest in your talent by surrounding them with talent to play with. Um, attacking mid, we're one light, but we got some blockers there, right? We got William, we got Lacazette, we got Eddie. Those three need to go, and then we can look at that space. And then we have the hard question about what is the Arsenal centre forward going to look like in between Balogun and let's just say Aubameyang. And these things are more important than the centre midfielder we were just talking about. More more important. So I think this is a key, key moment, a key moment that we really address these situations because if we want to be who we want to be, this is the time to change those areas because whatever we say, whatever we talk about, there are clubs that are moving with real authority, with really big numbers, and we need to compete with them. And we are not going to compete with them with those slots the way they are at the moment. We're, we're just not, you know, and so we need to grow up about it. But in a, stra- in a strange way, Granit Xhaka can compete then with Thomas Pye. It's what we're doing behind them. So we've lifted the floor with Lukonga. The only one, I'm up for a debate about that one. I think we can do something there. I really think we can to increase the quality of that of that unit. But we've got some work to do at centre forward, mate. We really do. Is and there- attack him midfielder it's really important it really is i i, I was going to fish off but in terms of increasing the quality of that unit is there something about el Nenny's unit that you want to increase the quality of? Or, or, <laughs> no. that, you meant that differently you meant the yeah I did. okay I did. my bad i thought this was a manscaped ad sorry it's fine because that that's where we're headed anyway buddy um okay well this gives me the perfect opportunity to say if you want to increase the quality of your unit the best way to do it is to show it off. Get rid of all that hair that's blocking its beauty. And that unit could be male, could be female, could be whatever it wants. You hear Clive hitting the mute button as fast as humanly possible so he, does, he can pretend like he's not a part of this. But he did give me the perfect way to, to, to throw into it. So I'm going to take it. You know, if you throw somebody a lifeline, grab hold of it. Arsenal, if someone wants to throw you a lifeline and like buy Willian, you take it. And if someone wants to help you better shave your privates, you take it. You go to manscaped.com, you use promo code Arsenal Vision, get 20% off and free shipping. You know, it's funny, so, like people on Twitter will literally come up to me and be like, oh, I hated those advertisements, couldn't believe it, but you know what, I, I bought one and like, yeah, man, the thing's awesome. I love it. And that's my point, right? All I'm trying to say is, you can hate these advertisements. I believe me, I get it. But you are going 
to, to shave a part of your body. And you can do it with a good tool or a bad tool. The weed whacker for ears and nose, the lawnmower for chest, sideburns, eyebrows, and of course your privates. And I'm not even reading the advertisement they gave me. This is supposed to be space month for some reason. So I'm supposed to make a Uranus joke. And I'm not doing it. Even though I made a unit joke. So I don't know. Maybe it's six of one half dozen of the other. But you know what? What's not six of one half dozen of the other? The quality of the lawnmower 4.0. Immense battery life. Uh, uh, skin safe technology, never cuts, never pulls, never uh, gives you the abrasions. It has the, the contact charging. It's wet, dry. So you use it in the shower. Just get it. Just get it. I mean, at some point, get it just to shut me up. But, but the, the important thing is it's quality. We're really proud to have them part of the show. The good company, they're connected to the testicular cancer society and, and, you know, anybody that's fighting for good causes, as we talked about earlier in the show is someone we want to be associated with. So there you go. Arsenalvision.com promo code. Uh, nope. ArsenalVision.com will get you to our podcast. Manscaped.com will get you to them. And promo code ArsenalVision will get you 20% off free worldwide shipping. Clive, is that enough of that? That is, actually. I, I think I'm going to have to get one to shut you up. But I can't believe you said jump on for 20 minutes of a little chat. Are you still saving me the Manscaped app? I can't believe you did. The funny thing is I had one show note for our talk together, which was make sure to do a Manscaped ad. So <laughs> thank you for that. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, bud. Thank you very much. Tim and Paul up after the break. Stay with us. <laughs> back and now we can talk about the most pressing issues in football i think while there is a lot we can discuss i have paul here i have tim here and it means we're going to get to the crux of the issue of the moment which is how arsenal economically structured the deal to bring Messi to the emirates so <clears throat> we will get to that with paul you can find him on twitter pause my pants i'll pause Woo-hoo. and tim you can find him on twitter Roberto. hello tim hello there hello there indeed so uh, I do just want to say really quickly, I'm sure by this point people saw it on social media or an email or whatever, uh, due to COVID, we did cancel Football Fest in Las Vegas, and I am obviously heartbroken. I was looking forward to it immensely to see everybody. I know there were over 300 of you that were booked, and it just breaks my heart. It was a decision that between the win and Blue Wire and ourselves, we felt we had to take due to COVID circumstances and masking coming back and even some hints at possible shutdowns and just could not take the risk beyond that. There comes a point where you're doing something that you want to do in spite of all the evidence suggesting you need to do something else. So uh, whatever anybody's view on this is, the outcome is is terrible. And having lost the Orlando trip to see Arsenal and meet everybody there and now having lost this one, yeah, I'm just, I'm ready for this all to be over with. But so if you are listening and you were looking forward to it, please know that we will have something else planned in the future. And if you're listening and we're sad that you weren't going to be able to go. Maybe the next one will will be more available to you. So we definitely will look forward to do that. And I will tell you that what we are going to do is something that's even more important, which is our annual fundraiser for the Arsenal Foundation is going to kick off next week in connection with the start of the season. Uh, we'll run for the month. There'll be more details on that. Uh, as they come along, we're going to talk to uh, someone really central to, to the project at the Arsenal Foundation on Monday. So I hope you'll join us for that and and give generously when we when we announce it. Anyway, um, so let's, let's dive in. What do you say guys? The, the messy thing, just, just really, really quickly, Paul, like th- there's still every possibility that this is posturing with Barcelona trying to get La Liga to blink and they may in fact blink, but it, it means we find ourselves at a very strange moment in football. I think basically if you look at who could go get Lionel Messi, 
it's PSG. I don't know if there's even a number two club. Maybe Manchester City. I mean, Manchester United, like, I, I don't know. They could sell stock or <laughs> however they make money. Um, but this this really is a weird situation with Lionel Messi. There is no contract that makes sense for signing Lionel Messi, but that's not why you do it. How do you think this resolves? Um, well, Messi's basically received most of Barca's money over the last 15 years. Um, his next contract, I think he was writing it up, that they just have to give them all of their money, plus any more money banks will loan them. So I think he just buys the club. I mean, he pretty much has sucked everything out of the club with his contracts over the years. Great footballer that he is. Mm. Um, uh, they've been like they've been living on the never never. It's been a bit crazy, uh, and now it's Messi Messi K on club. It's all his. Um, <laughs> Clever. Uh, did you come yeah, up yeah. with that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. Clever. Um, look, I don't like. I, I think it's posturing. La Liga don't want to lose Messi. Um, on the other hand, none of the scenarios work. So, uh, but where else? You know, where else does does he go? We were just chatting beforehand, and, and Tim has an interesting take around FFP. So I'll leave that to him. But like, there are things that are possible and not possible anymore. It's interesting that this is the year, right? It's it's the second summer of COVID. It's after the ESL thing, which was related. To why why did ESL happen in the middle of these two summers? Because of COVID. Like the model's broken. Everything's broken financially. Players running down contracts. Will future contracts be like players looking at running down their contracts? The idea is that you have more negotiating power. Well, that's true. But like there actually should be an entire readjustment as to what the wages are lower. Fees should be lower. Everything should be lower. And then there's just this disconnect between all the clubs who are screwed and all the, which is most clubs, and all the oligarch clubs and maybe a Man United and a couple of others who are a little... But everybody's guessing what their future revenues will be. You know, 100 million of our revenue comes from our stadium. Well, will we actually have fans for the this whole season? So, uh, like, everything's bleeding into everything. Um, clubs shouldn't take too many risks. Um, another interesting discussion is like we didn't like having the Cronkies as owners. Um, in the future, we won't like having the Cronkies as owners. But right now, it, it, they are not the worst owners to have for the for maybe the last year and the next year or two. And we can get back to despising everything they do for for us from there on in. But there's a level of stability that certain clubs will have due to, due to their ownership, and maybe this isn't the worst worst ownership moment in Arsenal's history. Yeah, I mean, they're not going to crater us, right? (laughs) They're not going to bankrupt us, which I mean, that if that's the bar we're setting. (laughs) Well, I'm not saying they're the good guys. I'm just saying when you compare the worry at other clubs, um, we don't have those worries for the next year or two. Some of that is backstopped by the Premier League TV deal, right? I mean, but that's that's another yeah. issue. Um, Tim, I mean, we'll, we'll finish off with the messy thing because it's absolutely stupid and silly and nonsense, and he probably will stay at Barcelona. But, like, this does get into the interesting question, right, of 
really recognizing that for some clubs, the project they're participating in isn't even in the same zone of what we're trying to participate in. It's not even about mm. football and footballing ambitions and building something and, you know, squad building and all that because Lionel Messi is going to be 30, or sorry, he is 34 years old and Father Time is undefeated. He's coming off a season of just the 30 goals and nine assists. <laughs> to be fair, only 27 non-penalty goals, Tim. Decline. Um, yeah, that's a season after only 20 non-penalty goals. Now, to be fair, he did add the 21 assists to that, so fair play to him, I guess. But, like, I know this can sound hilarious, but, like, his, his NPXG, his non-penalty XG is 0. 0.58, 0. 0.48. His non-penalty XG plus XA is 0. 0.9, 0. 0.96. Messi has gone from being the greatest player we've ever heard of who can do things that no one has ever done, period, ever, to just being the best player in the game, but maybe not head and shoulders above the next guy. So to be clear, Lionel Messi, still the best player playing football today, but now where the competition is at least closing the gap to that. Yeah. I mean, there's there's got to be a point where you talk about a billion pounds for, for a guy who's 34. Like, you're not even engaging in a football project at that point anymore, are you? No, no. I, I think to maybe to contextualize those numbers a little bit, that this is a terrible Barcelona team. Like he hasn't got yeah. Xavi and Iniesta giving them the ball anymore. Doesn't have it Luis really Suarez, is. which I think yep. is a bone Does, of contention, quite frankly. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't have Neymar. Like this is a terrible like without him, you know, I, I wonder if Barcelona will finish in the top four in La Liga, um, mm. to be honest. So like I, I think that provides some context. I think there's there's two really interesting things going on here, which are, are interlinked. And you guys have gone into like the politics of are they grandstanding with La Liga? And we know that it's coming that Barcelona will say, this is why we need the Super League mm. and all of this. But I, I think there's something interesting that's the wider for football. I think the Venn diagram of clubs that can afford Messi, but can make it work within FFP is vanishingly small. And I know people will laugh at that and say, FFP, and I get that, it, but it exists to an extent, right? Otherwise, Manchester City would not be wasting time trying to get rid of Bernardo, Bernardo Silva and Gabriel Jesus so they could sign Harry Kane. They have the money for Harry Kane. They don't need to sell to have the money. The reason they're doing it, well, if you look at Man City's squad, Unlike Chelsea, for example, Man City spends smartly, so they don't have loads of these wasters sitting there earning money doing nothing. But also City, and look, we we know there, there are some reports about their um, compliance or otherwise with FFP um, and things like that at the moment. And, you know, they're potentially about to go to court, I think. Um, so they're not, and, and look, they might win that case or whatever else, they probably will, but they're not entirely having it all their own way there. And it's the same for PSG. PSG have like all the money in the world. They don't have to worry about things in terms of the money they have, but they're playing Marquinhos in midfield. And that's because they spend so much money on Neymar and Mbappe. Look at the rest of their squad outside those two. And like Di Maria and Verratti is a really good player. Like a lot of them I've barely heard of. And that's not because they can't afford to go out and buy brilliant defenders and midfielders. It's, it's because of like financial restrictions. Those things do exist. They don't exist to the extent that they should and the full extent of the regulations, but they exist a bit. So I do think that this might be quite difficult. I'm not sure how many clubs can actually do a deal here. And just quickly, I, th I think the other thing, and Paul, I think, touched on it there. You look at someone like Pogba 
looks like he's going to run his contract down. Loads of players running their contracts down. Loads of free transfers um, have happened this summer. PSG have done a few of them. Juve have been doing them for a little while. And I wonder if we're at a reckoning for player salaries. The reason that Barcelona are in so much financial trouble is because they have to just keep feeding the beast to keep messy. And that pushes all their other wage costs up and things like that. And I wonder if we're about to have a reckoning now um, that we were going towards anyway, but COVID has has kind of put a coder on where clubs are just going to be like, look, we like this wage inflation, not sustainable anymore. And <clears throat> you can't threaten us anymore because no one else is going to pay you that money either. So don't get me wrong. I'm not going to, I'm not saying like, we're just going to go down or anything, but I think wages might stagnate quite a bit. And I think a few players who are going to be free agents might even find that, that when they think they're going to get their big Bosman payoff, they'll get a bit, but it won't be as big um, as it has been before. And I, I think a lot of clubs are, are realizing now that, we're ever like because all the money football is making is just going into player salaries and i think there's going to be a reckoning now where that might stop mm. I, I mean we are living through interesting times already enough with you know the covid stuff and all, all the unfortunate things that are going on that we know about but i think in terms of football anyone who says they know what's going to happen next is making it up i think tv Rights money is an uncertain future with streaming and you know analog pe digital pennies and analog dollars and all that stuff and you know the ESL situation and UEFA fighting to keep their turf. I, I don't know where it goes. I just think it is interesting because you really have gotten to the point now where you have clubs like PSG and City and they're not engaged in a football project even really. I mean they are but they aren't. It's just very different kinds of things that are going on and in a way the Premier League looks like the city on the hill because there's a bunch of clubs all trying to operate efficiently in the market, spend wisely and, you know, compete for the same thing. But then you look at it and you squint and you go, no, still not really. When you look at like what city you're doing and sort of what Chelsea are starting to do again. And I don't know, I'm really curious how we get some kind of competitive balance and, and sense of sort of systemic fairness back into the game. But that is a bigger issue than we need to get to right now. Uh, Paul, I want to touch on something that I thought was interesting that came up in a comment to our Patreon podcast we did. We don't need to go over the the Shaka thing again. We covered that. Uh, you, me, and Tim on our opinions were scared to share on the main pod pod, which we're not going to share on the main pod because we're on the main pod, and we're scared to share them on the main pod, so we scared them, shared them on that pod. Uh, but, you know, someone said, it's interesting, Elliot, because Paul is making the argument that sort of sounds like the argument Granite Shaka would have been, not Granite Shaka, uh, uh, Mikel Arteta would have been making as it relates to the decision they took with Granite Shaka. He said, Elliot, the argument you're making is maybe the argument I'd expect a strong director of football to be making back to Mikel Arteta as the counterpoint to what Arteta wants to do is the problem that we don't have that voice in the club. And it really got me thinking, and I wanted to put this to you. I do think you've made some cogent arguments on the Shaka topic and on other topics that I may not see eye to eye with, but that are maybe more aligned with how Mikel Arteta sees things. The question I would ask you is, I'm not saying you're ever convinced by anything I say, but is there a lack of that other voice in your opinion? I mean, I, we don't know, but it sure seems like the things he wants to do are, you know, are happening and getting rubber stamped. And maybe that's the right way a club should work. But I do wonder, is there someone as obnoxious as me, as strong-willed as me, butting heads with Mikel Arteta in the room where these decisions are made, 
providing that alternate alternate viewpoint? Do you think that there's viewpoint diversity at the club and sufficient authority among those people to to ensure that when decisions are taken, that there's a 360-degree view of, of all aspects of it? Yeah, I don't know. I do worry about it. Um, That's and a step. On top of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, and on, on the problem is we know so little, then your choice beyond the little we know makes you worry. Okay, well, what do you do about the, the 66% you don't know about? Then you project how could things work out? That's generally what I spend my time working on because uh, you've got the other side of it. How how could things go even worse than the 33% we can see covered? So I'm like, we got a guy for how can things go really tits up? Um, I'll work on the other side of it. But like, I do tend to think, how could they work through this thing? That's that's more interesting, maybe more enjoyable, maybe less stressful. Um, but on this topic of do we need that voice? Yeah. Do we have it? I don't know. I mean, the, the presentation of Edu, what do we like? Do we really have a feel for how he does his job currently? Um, you know, we have a few snips of who Edu is. He was the guy Raul brought in then. Uh, there was all the fuss around Raul and like he hopefully brought all the badness with him. But but that's maybe a little naive. Edu had this Kia hookup. But what's that really mean? I mean, people work with agents. We just didn't like what we got there. And how much was Raul a factor in terms of the deals we did? We don't know. But obviously, Edu was and probably is close to Kia, but we're not working with Kia right now. So does that matter right now? If Edu has a good vision, if he is a strong personality, that's great. But we haven't seen much of that. On the other hand, we haven't seen much of anything so far. He's kind of had a bit of a summer last summer, which was uh, theoretically Edu's first summer, summer, but it was dominated by Raul as a personality. If you're looking for a strong personality with a voice, Raul was your man, but he's no longer here for a reason. And I think part of the, like my take on Raul is, I don't know if he did anything truly dodgy or the Cronkies just didn't know what the fuck he was up to half the time. And he was pulling lots of interesting shit in terms of deals, not necessarily, not necessarily dodgy and illegal. It's just like <laughs> every time they caught up to what Raul had actually agreed to. And he is from Barcelona and he did do the, the uh, messy transaction um, and all of the politics and all of the deals within deals and agreements within agreements, I would suspect that the major issue with Raul was not that there was something truly dodgy, but that they just, you know, why do you bring in Tim Lewis to look over Raul and find out what's really going on? They wanted to look in all the cupboards. You know, they didn't fire Hus Fami. They kind of demoted him, though, and he was the kind of architect in chief of the creative deals. And by creative, it's hiding the money into the future, making it somebody else's problem. And the Cronkies were just like, Jesus Christ, every time we find out what actually went down and what actually was agreed <laughs> to and was actually promised. And we look through the layers of stuff that like this, it, this is no way to run a, a railway. Basically, Just don't look under the bed is basically the message, right? We cleaned our yeah. room. Just don't look under the bed. Well, then they find out there's another bed in another room <laughs> well, and there's another house. I think that's the problem with Raul. So like I, you could, I don't think you could even judge Edu necessarily on last summer. So here we are, his first summer, uh, but his whole 
the whole marketing of Edu is him and Arteta are on the same page from last year because they needed to kind of get realignment. I think it's all PR, which is not to say that Edu is good or terrible. I have no idea if he's any good. He's got no real track record in this kind of a job with this kind of a club doing this kind of job. Um, it's a good start. And and we didn't fire all our scouts, but we kind of did. And we pivoted to video and, and data. We just lost uh, Sarah Rudd, yeah. um, fr- who's headed up and was the originator of our, one of the originators of the Stats DNA organization for data within Arsenal. Now she's gone. That's not necessarily a bad thing. No, she, just so many. Who knows? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, But it's not necessarily a good thing either. So we've gone away from scouting. Now we're back to hiring scouting, which seems very strange. We're out there hiring a new scouting network using using a recruitment organization. I mean, you look at all that and you're the 33 percent, you'd know, would say, well, this doesn't feel very well run. Yeah. But but the 66% we don't know, I don't know, is he good, bad, indifferent? Is he on the same page as as Mikel or he's on it for now because now ain't the time to bring out the big kosh? Does he have a big kosh? Can we talk about those things on a podcast? I don't know. Prefer not to. Um, You know, it, it is the case for me that I think one of the things we fall into the trap of doing sometimes is making the case for why a move is okay or why it is smart, or why it can sure. work. But then not saying, have we just made the edge case, or have we made the majority case? Kind of reminds me, have either of you guys seen the movie The Other Guys? No. The okay. Guys, which, which, the Other Guys are Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg movie, where they're oh, like... Oh, great. Cops. At least the first half of it is Yeah, the is first hilarious. half is great. Well, okay. So, but, and, and they're like the crappy cops, but the hot shot cops are Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Samuel L. Jackson. They're the hot shots. They're like the superstar cops that everybody's like enamored with, and they're like celebrity cops, and they're chasing these bad guys to the roof of a building, and they're chasing these jewelry uh, thieves, and they, they get to the roof of the building, the jewelry thief guys like zip line to another building and then cut the zip line, and The Rock looks at Samuel Samuel Jackson and Samuel Jackson looks at the rock and they say, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And they look down and go aim for the bushes and the music pumps and they jump off the building and they plummet to their death. <laughs> and it's like, you don't see it coming. And it's hilarious. They're like, they're at the top of a building and they're like aim for the bushes and they jump and they just hit the pavement and they die. And the reason I bring it up is because like aim for the bushes makes sense there's a 2% chance the bushes will cushion your fall. There's a 98% chance you will smash your head on the pavement and die, which is exactly what happens to them. And I do wonder if, like, Arsenal aim for the bushes a lot. <laughs> you know, like, like, oh, you know, Willian can make sense if this happens. The Shaka deal can make sense if that happens. And really all we're doing is keep aiming for the bushes and keep hitting the pavement. So, Yeah, and I'm like, I have a lot of sympathy for that view because I will definitely argue myself into a check. But as I said the last time, the problem is we have too many of them, right? You can give the manager his head in one or two situations, for example. But when you take a step back, there's just too many deals that are of that variety and Very not well enough said. to feel yes. like a Lakonga, right? Very well said. Because because it, no individual bad deal kills the club, but the aggregate yeah. does. I said this, I think, on, on the Arsblog Patreon pod earlier today, which is that like the the 120 grand a week for Shaka, 
the hundred and something grand a week for Willian, the 300 grand a week for Aubameyang, like individually, each of those might be bad. But when you look at it and say, gosh, there's 500,000 pounds a week we could be doing something else with. When you say it that way, it starts to feel <laughs> like it's not yeah. great. Tim, and you Tim, can look at somebody like Sven, just to wrap my side of it up. Uh, Sven Mislintat in there, like the ace 23-year-old finder. But he got us a Licksteiner and a Socrates too. And an Obama Yang and a, a Mikatari. Now, how much of that was him versus Edu and Raul saying, look, we want some of this too? But it is the mix. And the thing was, over time, we expected Sven to do a lot more Ganduzis and a lot fewer Licksteiners. Uh, but again, like Edu, you kind of need time. And, and Sven had almost no time to show who he really was for us. He's shown it elsewhere. Edu had almost no time apart from a COVID window and a half to show who he is. But like, there's nothing positive to say about Edu as the problem. And a lot of concerns through these two COVID windows as to what he can or would do for us. Mm. Well, Tim, one of the things that I think also has to be understood, look, we know that it's a tough market to sell right now, but when you don't make the decision to sell for a long time, when you're not decisive about what to do with your players for a while, you can wind up with a bloated squad, and a bloated squad leaves you with fewer choices you can make, right? So, for example, I think a lot of people would like to see us keep Joe Willick, but in a situation where we have Nelson and Enkedia and Maitland-Niles and Willick and Cedric and Holding and Chambers, and, you know, I'm starting to add names that maybe shouldn't be put in this list, to be fair, and El Nenny is like, when you have a lot of players you regard as sort of surplus to requirements and don't have a plan for you don't necessarily have the luxury of keeping the one who could maybe get you a 20 million pound fee. So I, I know we love our Academy kids, but one of the big sayings we have on this pod that we use sometimes is you got to kill your darlings. And Arsenal have seemingly only been willing to sell when selling is the blindingly obvious solution. So in order for us to start to get back on the right track, how important do you think it is for us to maybe take some economic outcomes that we view as suboptimal in order to trim the fat and get the squad less bloated. So we have some optionality. Because when your squad is this bloated, you have no optionality, right? There's very few moves left that you can make. I think of it like, you ever play one of those games like Tetris, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. At oh, the beginning yes. of Tetris, you can turn those blocks any old way you want and put them anywhere. But by the very end of Tetris, when you're near the top, you got one or two moves that can work out for you. And the squad feels like the end of Tetris. And they're where, coming like, faster and faster, yeah, right? You've so only got a tiny band of space at the top. And like the the three block with the one to the left barely fits in and you still got to snap it into space unless you can get it right over to the side really quick with the arrow where it lines down. And like there's a shape that just fits into it. Down. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It, it's it's readily apparent. <laughs> uh, Tim, my, my point is, are we at the end of Tetris? Like, do we have to start finding ways to de-bloat the squad, even if it's suboptimal economically in the short term, because it starts to give us optionality for how we can rebuild this thing? Yeah, but I kind of think we're, we're trying to do that already. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> Go it's on, just please. It's kind of not working. Like, I, you know, the, there's reports about like Bellerin now we're willing to accept a loan with an option instead of a loan with an obligation. And, and all the while, like we're, we're radically like, you know, we're radically kind of reducing our expectations and things like that. I, I do honestly just think it's that difficult. Um, and when I look around, like it, it, it looks that difficult everywhere. I do think that there is the potential now for a little bit of that blockage to ease. Now that Man City have 
you know, given Aston Villa 100 million, which most of which they've already spent. Um, and that means Southampton have got have got 30 million for Danny Ings and and we've just given Brighton 50 million for Ben White and you know like those kind of deal that means that like Brighton have to go out and buy someone right uh, they need a striker as well and they probably need another center back now and Southampton have just lost a striker so they've got to go out and buy one and it looks like they might lose James Ward-Prowse so they need to buy a midfield like I do think that some unblockage will start to happen um, now, but I mean, and as for taking like suboptimal um, kind of bids, like as I kind of explained with um, what I think is going on with the Xhaka thing um, on the Patreon pod. So f- to summarize it really briefly for those people who didn't hear, that was basically I don't think Arsenal were hugely keen to sell or that he was hugely keen to go. I just think Arsenal thought they could get money for him and they couldn't. <laughs> so mm. they've just thought, well, okay, all right, we we quite like this player. We're not desperate to lose him um it happened with martinez last summer i don't think arsenal really wanted to lose martinez but a mixture of his desire to go there was good money on the table and he had two years on his contract we were kind of backed into a corner there and we we took that in hindsight we should have taken the maitland niles money um and run but i I don't necessarily blame arsenal for that because i didn't I didn't think that bid, bid was acceptable at the time if someone offered 15 million for ainsley maitland niles now You'd absolutely take it, but I, I think probably what will end up happening is there'll be a lot of loan deals um, done. And it sounds like, for example, like Reese Nelson's got one year left on his deal, and Palace only want him on loan, so we need to extend his contract to be able to do that. Like, I do think things like that will happen. I don't think there'll be a lot of cash in the bank um, for Arsenal this summer, or, or for many clubs, um, really. Which is why, for like, if. If we're offered twenty million or more for Joe Willock, you absolutely take that. You absolutely one hundred percent take that because that gets you. I I don't really want Madison, but Arsenal want Madison. That that twenty million might get you Madison, and then, frankly, who cares about Joe Willock because we've got Smith Rowe and and Madison to play that advanced midfield. Like there would be no room for Willock in that, and that would represent like a, an upgrade in the squad. So you you absolutely take that. Um, but yeah, we we might have to. But like, I think I still think it's more likely that taking deals that are suboptimal doesn't necessarily mean taking low fees. I think it might mean taking loans with loans with options, loans with obligations, maybe extending and trying to extend Nketiah and Nelson by a year. Um, but then, do they want to do that? I I think I I suspect that's how some of these will play out. Yeah, it doesn't help that you have a season with no Europe either, right? Because you've got this bloated squad and you've got some young players that maybe you could put in the shop window and you say, is it the end of the world if we really just play them in the Europa group stages and stuff? But we don't even have that. So you could wind up with a lot of players, Tim, who get 100 minutes this season. You know what I mean? 200 minutes, 300 minutes. And that doesn't put anyone in the shop window, does it? Um, I, I do wonder, I mean, do you... It's what? It's 25, 26 days till the close of the window as we sit here right now or stand. I don't know how you guys do the podcast or lay down in bed. I hope not. Um, Do you have a sense, Tim, of just how lubricated things might get, which is a weird (laughs) thing to ask if you are doing this from bed. But like in terms of in terms of let's keep it in terms of Arsenal. I mean, obviously, Grealish has moved now and Danny Ings moving was kind of a, a surprise. You know, maybe maybe Messi is moving, which could be a whole bunch of dominoes falling 
Do you do you think that Arsenal could still have the busy window? They recently briefed, I think they said like judges at the end of the window, they still are being, you know, the media is briefing that they're briefing the media, they still think it'll be busy. Do you think it'll still be busy? I let me give you a prediction. I think Arsenal will get Aaron Ramsdale. I think they will get an attacking midfielder as well. I'm not convinced that will be James Madison. I, I think some sales will have to happen that probably won't happen. Um, but I think they will. I, I, I've got a sneaky feeling they might get Odegaard, maybe like Odegaard on loan with an obligation or loan with an option, something like that. So, I mean, I don't know if you regard that as busy. Um, I think it's clear that we've kind of, um, we're resigned on the central midfield front. Um, and I think another part of the reason for doing that is because they think, right, okay, we've got Xhaka, we like Xhaka, we trust Xhaka, that's fine. It's not like a hole in our squad. We'd like to have maybe bought a young model, but we don't consider that a big hole in our squad. But we literally don't have another number 10 other than Smith Rowe. And we literally don't have a second goalkeeper that we can actually use. Mm. So I, I I think they what they probably thought is those are like absolute priorities. We have to get those done. So I do think those will get done. Mm. Um, I, I think someone like Ramsdale is probably in the crosshairs. And again, they probably don't quite want to go to what Sheffield United want. So they might have to shift some weight first. But I think that Arsenal will do those two deals. And, and with Ramsdale, unless Leno gets injured in one of the first games, they can possibly uh, like afford to wait until closer to the deadline on that one because he won't he probably won't come in and be first choice anyway. Um, but if Leno like does his knee on the first game of the season, I'm sure that deal will be done within 48 hours or something like that. So I reckon those are a couple of irons they've got in the fire. That that's my prediction, and I guess my other prediction is Joe Willock will go to Newcastle. Mm, interesting. Well, I don't know if I'd take what you've just described, but I will take uh, take it under advisement. You said that Arsenal might be interested in a younger model but can't find one, and I would suggest that where footballers are concerned, it's usually not that hard to find a younger model. But um, And, I, I mean, you could take that one of two ways. But, I, well, the, the issue for me, I, I think, is the question of, like, what we regard as priorities, and I'm not sure everybody would even necessarily agree on what those are, but... Paul, one thing that, that is pretty darn good to see that I think we can all agree on is Bukayo Saka being pictured back mm. with the team. We play Brentford on Friday of next week. So by the time most people are listening to this, it will be a week from the start of the season. I've got to believe that this is too soon for Bukayo Saka to be involved, but maybe not. I really don't know what Mikel Arteta regards as sufficient practice time for a player that he has loved and has used excessively when he's been available. Do you have a sense of how important it is to have Bukayo back in the group, you know, just a, a smiling joy to behold and certainly will lift the spirits, but how long we might have to wait before it's realistic to expect him to be involved? Yeah, it's great having him back. Um he just has a natural effervescence to him. He's he's a good presence when he, even when he's not playing. I could see him being on the bench and not starting for this one uh, to kind of get him back in the flow of things. But uh, you know, maybe he comes on for twenty minutes at the end and and uh, enjoys uh, getting out there again. Hopefully, in a positive situation there. But like, to add how do the you sixth drop- goal in a, in a comfortable six 0 victory? Okay. I'll yeah, that's kind of how I picture this Brentford thing going. Um, but, like, you can't drop Pepe at the moment, I don't think. He's been here all preseason, working hard, looking good. Uh, 
looking in shape. So he's a starter. Smith Rose is you just a, tempted is, fate there, by the way, for Arteta to go hold my beer. Yeah. <laughs> I dropped Pepe for, for Saka, but I agree with you. Yeah. You could. Uh, yeah. Smith Rowe is a starter. Aubameyang and Lacazette, uh, probably going to start both of them. Um, so he has his starters, and I just don't think there's a reason. There's no reason to protect Bakaya Saka, but there's also no reason to rush him back in before he's like really got his foot on uh, feet on the ground and is ready to go. I think he's a very. My sense of him is he's he's actually a very strong, balanced guy, uh, relatively unflappable, and so I don't think he's going to need. He's got all the love that he would need and more. Uh, from around him, from within the club. You know, he's now in the club bubble, so all that stuff becomes less and less relevant. I think he'd be fine as soon as he's ready, but he needs a week or two to be ready. And the other guys have earned the start in many ways. So uh, I could see him coming back into the team for the second, the third game, or certainly been on the... You know, we don't have that much cover. We probably need him on the bench uh, for the first game, and I think that's how it might be. Mm. Tim, do you do you have a sense of of his the importance of his reintroduction and the right timing to make it happen? I mean, the, the, the reason I think this is tricky, right, is ideally you'd love to be able to get Bukayo Saka into a game like Brentford, which I'm not saying it'll be easy. It almost certainly will not be easy. But then you go Chelsea and City. The guy hasn't been with you. He hasn't played at all. And throwing him back under those conditions don't seem ideal. Mm. Then you have, I think, an international break. I mean, maybe that's what you do. Maybe you go, what, five weeks of of Saka just sort of training, but he's probably going to be off with England during that international break. I mean, how do you, how do you thread this needle, Tim? Because I don't know if introducing him too early is the right move, waiting until games that are so big and pressurized, waiting until all the way after an international break. There's no, there's no, it doesn't seem like a comfortable, easy option for where he should fit back in. No, but um, I, I tend to agree with what I think he'll be on the bench against Brentford. I think he'll get the last 20 or 30 minutes with a view to him starting against Chelsea and Man City. I think, um, I, I, I've said this many times, I think this is something fans worry about far more than, than players and coaches. This, this is just the reality of being a footballer now. You, you don't really get summers off and... And things like that, and I think thinking around periodization and things like that has changed. Like, you know, look, it, it's not like absolutely ideal, but I, I, I would be absolutely shocked and amazed um, if Saka didn't start against Chelsea and City. I don't, I wouldn't be, uh, um, I wouldn't be massively surprised if he started against Brentford. I don't think he will. I don't necessarily think he should. I think he'll definitely play a part in that game. And I just think, like athletes, uh, footballers these days, they're so highly tuned that. Um, they almost don't really need that much time off. I don't think not not as much as like because you know back in the day when you actually had like three months off in the summer or a couple of months before you went back to preseason training. Like the reason players needed so long was because they went away and ate pie and chip, chips and drank loads of pints and they needed about six weeks to get back into shape. And that's just not really the reality. Um, anymore, I, 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 th- I think he'll play. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a colliery, right? The, um, mm-hmm. the Arsenal women players who are playing in Tokyo in the Olympics, like were playing in the the Olympics a couple of days ago. They're going to be playing in Russia for Champions League qualifiers on August the eighteenth. Like they're literally having no summer. It's just season ended. Went to the Olympics in Tokyo. Come back. Go to Russia. 
play Champions League qualifiers and they have Chelsea and Man City in their first three games. So they're getting no summer at all. So I, I just think that's the reality um, for athletes now. I fully expect Saka to be in the squad for Brentford. Um, let's just say for a second that Saka is in the squad for Brentford. It, if he's starting, would you start him on the left? In- um. I think I would, yes, but just because there aren't many other options there at the moment. Otherwise, because I, I think what's going to happen is we're going to have a Bamiang on the left. I mean, he started there against Chelsea, and I think that's what's, what's really going to happen with with Lacazette. Then I mean, is he, there, there's no update on him. I guess he's just going to stay and play out his contract. Yeah. Is that that's basically it? I I I think so. Yeah, I'm sure if someone cut like all the updates are like Arsenal are open to an offer for Lacazette, like. Yeah, of course. I'm sure they are. But we but. not unless we're buying someone. So that's a difficult needle to thread too. Is it? Sorry, I'm bouncing among yeah, topics, yeah. but you you just got me really thinking how weird it is that Lacazette is just going into his final year. It's all pretty much quiet. It that's that's a strange one. Yeah, yeah. And and I just tend to think like I just tend to think that's how things will play out. Like he'll just see out his contract and we'll sort it next summer. Um, so it's another again. season of of Oba on the left for good stretches with Lacazette in the middle? Well, quite possibly, but I mean, to be honest, I really think Aubameyang's kind of lost it on the left, like, and and understandably so, given his age and that it's not his position. Like, I I do tend to think that I think that's how things will start, but I I my my feel my prediction is it it just won't work to the extent that he'll have to choose um, yeah. between the two of them. Uh, and my guess would be that you know uh, Arsenal. Arteta and Lacazette all kind of get what's going on and like they'd all love a great move for him and we'd love a fee for him, but we there's no hard feelings here on either side. And Lacazette will play whatever role he's asked to play. And if he's if it's minimal because everything's going great, he'll he'll be okay. He's a smiley, happy sort of a guy. I think at this stage he, he knows he's winding down his contract. And if they need him a lot like we did last year, as it turned out. I mean, we didn't play him to begin with. He wasn't in form. We played Enkatia a fair few times. We tried almost everything, but but Lacazette at one stage, and then he came back into form. He's a good influence around the squad. I think it's really a function of if Aubameyang playing up front is working, then Lacazette will play a very marginal role. And if not, then Lacazette will step in as our second striker. Yeah, I mean, he's making 180 grand a week. I don't think he's going to be too unhappy to stick around for that. I don't know that anybody else is going to give him that right now. So he, be- he knew what he was doing when he said, "I'll." When he's basically saying, "You know, if a great offer comes, that's exciting for him." But otherwise, he's going to run down. You know, he he knows the realities. We need to transition away from him. And that he's getting paid. It's not like it's his. He's got two season, two seasons to go with us, or once. You know, this is his final season. He knows he's winding down his contract. Yeah. Well, it's it certainly. I mean, it's this is where I think fans start to get frustrated is when you've had a couple of tough seasons, and there are a couple of very specific sort of peccadillos about the team that get people worked up. Like, granted, Jack is a good player, but people are ready to be done with him. It, not. Not all people, some people. Lacazette's a good player. I think people are ready to move on from him and hated the Lacazette central Aubameyang left thing. I mean, isn't that really principally it, Tim, that like when we look forward to this new season, we want it to feel like a new season. 
and staring down the barrel of Shaka Elneny in the first game and Oba left in Laka Central. Like, it's not that these are terrible players, although I'm not a huge Elneny fan myself, but like, you know, and Hector Bellerin maybe starting it right back. And like, there's, it's just not enough of a breath of fresh air for a squad that feels a little stale and for a fan base that is ready for something new. Yeah, 100%. And that, that's completely understandable. These these are a group of players who haven't led us anywhere near where we actually want to go. So I completely understand that. And and look, it, I mean, I said on the last pod that, you know, the, the coach and the technical director can't consider boredom as a factor. It's perfectly relevant for fans to do so. But the coach and the technical director can't. But they've tried to move a lot of these players on and we know they're open to moving yeah. plenty of them on. It's, it's just the market's clogged up and they can't. Um, you know, and so therefore, they've you know Edu, Edu's got to work his arse off to try and make the market work as much as he can, and Arteta has got to work his arse off to get something more out of these players as the coach. And um, you know, there there are there are some marginal gains there um, potentially in in terms of players getting better, perhaps things being a bit more. Um, settled we're hopefully not going to change the formation completely in about November December time like we kind of did last season and we've got some players who are hopefully a bit more settled in and got a bit of a better idea of what they're doing but I mean nevertheless like I I can't see the squad as it is really I mean we we were six points off of fourth last year which, which isn't a great deal especially considering where we were in about December mm. however I, I you know I think Chelsea are going to get a lot more points um, than they got last season for example I, I think Man U will be better um, I mean I, I don't think they'll come close to Manchester City but I think you know Liverpool probably won't be playing with you and me in central defense <laughs> yeah yeah like I do kind of think the top four's on lock unless we do something quite special um, in the market, but but yeah, of course, like of course, people are, are not going to be happy to see the, the kind of the same old players um, wheeled out again. That's 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 completely understandable. But the the club and the players themselves obviously have to look at it very differently and say, okay, where and how do we get better? Because I do think I do think they they've underperformed for the last two years. It's a very imperfect squad for many reasons. I do believe in my heart they're better than eighth place, not a lot better. But I I do think they're a top six. It's a top squad. six squad. Yeah, it's yeah. a top six squad, and it it should be. I mean, the interesting thing is when you look at the list of transfers that have happened so far, you can't even believe you're looking at it. You're like, where's the rest of it? It's yeah. it's been really slow, and I think it is it is a staring contest because no one knows who's got any money. The continent has none of it. People are weighing up big moves from within the league versus trying to take advantage of these clubs that are skint on the continent. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think we will start to see movement with that as the, the continental clubs start to realize they have to make deals and the Premier League clubs starting to decide between those two paths. Tim, I'll stay with you for one second, and, and Paul, let you get the last word here if we have time. Um, the one thing that does look like it's set to maybe bring us big joy, as usual, has nothing to do with Arsenal and everything to do with Tottenham. City got Grealish. Now Pep Guardiola's crying broke and saying they can't make Kane happen. Kane extended his holiday against Spurs' wishes. I mean, we could be looking at a really, really, really fun outcome with this Kane situation. Now, I could look really dumb and the move could happen next week or whatever, but even if it just runs till the deadline day so that Spurs have a hard time even being able to replace or knowing what to do and Kane damages his reputation there, is it possible we wind up with 
a really sensational outcome to this. I mean, Spurs are mm. uniquely designed to bring us joy. So do you expect it to happen here? I, I think it could do, yeah. I mean, I think they, they've got a fairly average manager that they didn't even really want. And I think um, that they've had this quite a few of the times Spurs finished just short of us in the top four. They had transfer sagas at the beginning of their seasons, which just derailed them slightly. So, you know, the Bale thing dragged on, the Berbatov thing dragged on. Um, for example, I think this Michael is bigger Carrick, than both. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Michael Carrick dragged on, and on all of those occasions, they had slightly underwhelming starts to the season because Levy was, um, you know, as you can understand in his position, like really, really trying to leverage the transfers, but it probably came at the expense of points on the pitch, and they probably missed the Champions League a couple of times because of it. Um, th- this is a situation that that I think they have less control over. Um, I don't think this is as much about leveraging. Um, I mean, maybe they can. I, I, do, I, I think it will happen. I do think it will happen. Um, yeah. I think, you know, Pep's bluffing um, a little bit. But, like, um, could it happen August 30th? Because that would be yeah. great. That would be great. Yeah, no, I, that's, that, that's how I think this is going to go down. I think it's going to drag on and on, and there'll be every week, it'll be like, what, is Kane playing? And it's like... No, he's not playing. He's not mentally ready to play. And yeah, I I do think it will become a saga. Yes. Paul, do you agree, please? Um, I think so. Like, I think my reading of it was that Kane would stay and that Levy would like he's not even sitting pretending to sit at a table for 100 million when they're hinting at 150 million. Uh, from the city side, um, based on, uh, on the stuff I've been reading and listening to. So that's kind of my read. I don't think Levy's going to sell him, which is astonishing. Um, for a hundred north of a hundred million for Harry Kane, who's you, there's an annual debate now as to whether he's slowly or he, whether he's heading off his aging curve or not or whether he's back or whether he's proved everybody wrong or whether his ankles have gone how do you not take say 125 to 150 million for harry kane when you're daniel levy and he doesn't guarantee you top six um and he won't guarantee them that for for next year either i i'm uh, i think daniel levy is a very smart businessman in some ways and based on my reading of this, he has a massive blind spot in in some other ways. And I'm going to be really happy because Harry Kane stays. Danny Le- Daniel Levy doesn't take the money. Uh, they have a declining asset over time. They'll never get them this kind of revenue again in future years. This is like it's only surely it's only City who who at this point would pay 150 million for this version of Harry Kane, uh, who you know he's great. He's a at his best, he's a he's a brilliant player. Uh, horrible thing to have to say, but it's true. But like the unless they know something about his ankles that we don't know, that's uh, is that where you'd put 150 million? You would would you leave it on the street to see if somebody else picks up the briefcase? Would you leave it running around on Harry Kane's ankles? I'm astounded to be honest. I don't get it. Does it make him? I, I mean, get it. I mean, all right. I guess the reason is. It makes them better right now, and they don't care. I mean, the funny thing is City could have not signed Grealish and not signed Kane and won the league. So I don't know what the project is there. You know what I mean? 
I, I just love that it screws Tottenham. And I, I like, I don't, yeah, go, t- Tim. I was going to say, like, I, I just always think in these scenarios, like, you know, the Spurs have had, like, what, good seven years out of him. And, like, th- this is this is the last time he'll be this valuable. And I just always think in these scenarios, you, you're going to have to replace him <laughs> sooner or later. And, yeah, like, with his ankle injuries and blah, 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 like, either replace him now with £150 million in your pocket or replace him in three years with nothing. It, like, to me, it's just, like, such a no-brainer choice to be honest like even when we sold van Persie, obviously it was nowhere near that kind of money but the way i it sucked to sell him to man united to me it didn't suck to sell him because i was just like well he's 29 he's had loads of injuries we've got we're gonna have to replace him one day like every player needs to be replaced one day so and you know unless they're like 23, 24, like once they're past that 27, 28 age, I would always sell for ridiculous money. Yeah. Um, because you've got to do it. So so when why not do it a couple of years earlier, but with loads and loads of money? Yeah. I, I mean, I know this is going to sound dumb, but to wind it back to Messi, would Barcelona rather have 200 million, 300 million, 500 million pounds in their bank with Messi playing for PSG the last season and a half or two seasons? Instead of the situation they find themselves in now? I don't know. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants, by the way. Uh, thanks, Paul. Woohoo, indeed. Uh, Tim, as we just get ready to say goodbye here really quickly then, it is it is one of these situations now. We are within a week before the season starts. I just want to take your temperature. We'll be doing our season preview stuff next week and then a little more stuff as the window closes. So I don't want to go full prediction here, but just taking your temperature, do you feel more encouraged about the coming season now than you did at the end of last season, less encouraged or similarly encouraged slash discouraged? Probably similar in that I completely anticipated that the market was going to be really, really difficult and I didn't see all of these lovely moves we had in our head really happening. Um, I, I guess I did see a selling Xhaka um, and buying someone there. That That's the only one that surprised me, I think. Um, I, I, I think about similar. Like I, I think this squad is about sixth, um, to be honest. I think they under-delivered the last couple of seasons, and, and I still think that's roughly where they are. There's, like, variant. Like, I think between, like, fifth and eighth, there's variance there. So if we had, like, you know, if things went our way, fifth. If things didn't go our way, eighth or ninth. Or if, like, Leicester or Everton or someone has a really, really good season, like, there's there's some jockeying um in those positions but i i i'm not famous last words i'm not that scared of everton i do think we'll finish above spurs um i I think leicester is is probably the one that i'm looking at and thinking "Mm, could be between us and leicester for fifth and sixth but and and you know i say this like i don't think that's good enough (laughs) no no one thinks that's good enough but you gotta you gotta go up a bit at a time, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but like I, I, I really think if we got the business done that we wanted to get done, that we, you know we could potentially challenge for the top four, particularly with one game a week. So when I say that, I say that slightly despondently because I think we got the resources um, to try and make that happen. But 
there there isn't really the market at the moment. So I I wouldn't be like celebrating sixth or fifth next year. Is there a move that um, we're linked with that you think is possible that would change this substantially for you or your expectation or not really? Um, if we got Erdegaard, um, mm. you know, if we were able to sell Willock for good money, use that money on Erdegaard, um, I I like him. I think he's a good player. I think him and Smith Rowe, you know, I, I think it just gives us a lot more kind of nice options. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that would make, don't get me wrong, I don't think I'd turn this into world beaters or anything, but we we got significantly better, I think, while he was in the team, while he was in the team and fit. Um, it is interesting. Last year. Yeah, because a lot of people are like, well, we finished on a really good upward trajectory last season, so we weren't the eighth place season, eighth place team, so we should be good this season. And I'm thinking like, well, but we also lost Odegaard. We yeah. lost Ceballos. Not that Ceballos is, you know, the most important thing. Thomas Party's now injured for who knows how long. And we got Ben White in, lost Dan- David Luiz. So it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not totally sure where that leaves us. I will end on this question. Very simple. Mm. If we sign Lionel Messi tomorrow and he started against Brentford and played the whole season, all 38 games, where mm. would we finish? Second. Second? Um, yeah, second bit behind City. That That's really... um. That's depressing, though, isn't it? <laughs> to think mm. we could sign Lionel Messi and still not win the league. I mean, um, yeah, I, I think I think we'd finish second. I think we'd be, you know, um, I, I think Chelsea will finish second next year, but I think that would take us over and above them and United and mm. probably Liverpool. I, I don't think it would take us above City at all. Well, that's what you got to do if you want to make Champions League football. Sign the greatest player in the history of the world. That's all it takes. Tim, I appreciate it. Tim's on Twitter. So, but thanks, man. My pleasure as always. Okay, so we will have all season previews type content next week along with the announcement of our Arsenal Foundation fundraiser. And I, I am really, really excited to do that. We have Bukayo Saka stuff in the shop, by the way. Uh, Brandon came up with a cool idea. You know the, Tim, you know the star boy like emoji, like the curling yep. star? And then you know how he's like the chili pepper? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. We took a chili pepper oh, and turned this. it into yeah. the Starboy emoji. It's really clever. You know, because the hard thing is you can't use their likeness, right? Like that, you're not allowed to do that. But you can use things that sum them up. And I thought that summed them up, our chili Starboy. So there you go. We, get, we got that uh, on the site along with a bunch of other stuff. More than anything, we just love you for being here. Thank you for that. Uh, we will have our our predictions coming up. We have our, our Fantasy Premier League re-signed for patrons. If you haven't gotten in you need help doing that, uh, just let me know. So that'll do it for today. But we play Spurs at the weekend, so I am sure there will be spicy takes to be had on Monday, and we hope we'll uh, have you along for the ride then. We love you. We'll talk to you after Arsenal 10s. Come new.